Kia ora and welcome to Design Assembly Conversations. In this series we talk to Aotearoa New Zealand designers, hear their stories and celebrate their work. I'm Louise and today I'm talking to Brian Richards. In 1987, Brian founded Richards Partners, a design and strategy studio based in Auckland, and today he continues to lead the team there. He's been recognised as one of New Zealand's foremost brand strategists, has helped to found New Zealand's first Masters of Design Management at Unitech, and in 2007, he received the Black Pin Award from the Designers Institute of New Zealand. Kia ora, Brian. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'd like to start by asking you about where you've come from and how you found your way into design. Well, firstly, I'm not a designer. Um, I have to say that. I spent my, I started my early days in, I come from a country town called Tamaranui in the King Country. Um, I'm of Lebanese and part Māori descent, um, uh, and I grew up in a little country town. I went away to boarding school, and my father was a chartered accountant, and everybody wanted me to be an accountant. So I studied commerce, um, didn't like that much, but I did qualify, spent a lot of time climbing up and down the hill at Auckland University, and then realising that it really wasn't for me. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do, became a professional soldier in the military mm. for a few years. and. Um, graduated in, in, in military school. Uh, then I uh, went away to England for a little while. I came back and um, really the awakening for me in design started manufacturing. I joined a firm that was a little tiny printing company in Onehunga, 35 people, um, and we were specialising in the development of self-adhesive labels, a company called Quickstick. Um, it subsequently became a, an international brand. And when we sold the company, we had about 1,100 employees over a period of about 16 or 17 years. But during that time, I was really interested in the topic of design. I grew to know about it because we had design studios inside our business. We employed designers. Um, I met lots of designers. I realised that design was a major uh, contributor to um, the brand and all that kind of thing. And uh, really, my awakening in design was working with companies in the wine industry and other industries where we would label things, and sometimes they were badly named and badly storied and all that kind of thing. So my introduction to design was not just graphics, but also the design of a big idea and how a product was going to be positioned and all that kind of thing. That's really where I came from. Can you think of designers in particular that you know inspired you and ignited that, that passion in those early days? The first designer, professional designer I worked with was Peter Hayeswood, and Peter and I go back that far, um, and we worked together on a number of projects. Uh, we developed um, uh, brands for people together. I commissioned design from him on behalf of our firm, and then later when we sold the firm, and I was independent in my own right. I began to work with a lot of design studios here in New Zealand, Sydney, Singapore, Melbourne, um, Wellington. So, um, you know, along the route, I've employed and worked alongside many design teams, etc. So, and I, I, all their names go back a long way. I, I still see some of them. Um, some of them are still alive and well. In fact, yeah. I talking to Peter the other day yeah. up in Northland, etc. So, mm. had a long association with some great design people. Mm. 
you described the year that you spent studying business in France at INSEAD, if I've said that correctly, as pivotal in your career. So tell us about this experience. Well, I, I had this very sort of narrow upbringing in the sense that I had been in manufacturing and I'd been, you know, in the military and that kind of thing. And certainly I knew how to organise things, I knew how to administrate things and so on. Um, but I really didn't know much about the wider world and how business really worked. And so if you're involved in doing a master's degree, the case studies that of, the, of the businesses that you work with uh, are, are probably the way in which those sorts of uh, degrees are taught. And um, my interest was, my thesis was about orderly free enterprise. Um, and I studied appellations and guilds and uh, it was all about how to get industries to work better together in a collaborative way. Um, and that was really pivotal in the sense I had to go and visit lots of companies, I had to look at their balance sheets and their P&L accounts and then look at the, the emotional sides of their product and services and see where the premiums were and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I became really interested in intellectual property mm-hmm. and thinking that we are physical in how we talk about assets, but from the point of view of, of you know, um, emotional characteristics of a product, its design, its aesthetics and all that kind of stuff. Most of people certainly at that time in New Zealand, really hadn't even occurred to them. So we had lots of great products, but many of them were poorly designed, badly storied, and so on. So really it was pivotal for me to be guest of some of the top luxury firms in France and see what great design had done, LMVH, and I was guest there for, you know, we, we went out as students and visited some amazing companies. And then I came back and thought, ooh, I really think New Zealand could transform itself and so that's been my crusade ever since really. Mm. Yeah. So you started um, Brian R. Richards on your return from Yes, France. pretty much, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, it started at home and, and, and I didn't really want to work for anybody. I thought, well, I, 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 you know, I, it's time that we sort of, we, we did something new. And some of the very early projects like Zespri mm. and Savena and things like that were in the primary sector. Mm. And the skill in those particular jobs um, was much more than design. It was getting people uh, to a starting line to go down a new road mm. uh, of repositioning products or food or mm. wine and various things like that. So I had a lot to do with the primary sector in those early years, mm. mainly because I'd seen things in France that I thought we could emulate here. Yeah. Mm. And so that was 1987, which obviously there was a stock market crash. So how was, was that, that general business environment and... It was, uh, things were very tough yeah. at that time. Um, but it was a time when people were starting to say, well, we've got to do something different here. We've got to do something new and so on. And um, I met people at Fisher & Paykel. I met people at the healthcare company, Fisher & Paykel Healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so I worked around a number of industries where I felt that there were people that w- were wanting to turn a corner. Mm-hmm. And I worked with people like various design designers in the collaborations and that kind of thing. So... Um, that's really where this firm started. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is coaching, coaching culture inside a company, dealing with senior management teams, mm-hmm. dealing with CEOs, uh, who are quite lonely when you get close mm-hmm. on this topic of design. Mm-hmm. And did you have a, a lead designer or a creative director that you chose to partner with to start the firm? Or? Most of the people that I worked with at that time were in firms and I was working with them. I didn't have a studio. I was just purely strategy. Yeah. For many, many years I had no... I had no design team here. 
uh, many design firms would say that, that uh, you know, when they need a strategist, they'd call me in, but it invariably never happened, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense that... And sometimes I'd do some strategic work and then I'd look and think, mm, the design execution didn't quite, you know, run as the strategy mm-hmm. had described it, etc. So sometimes you, you, you feel that you, you need to sort of have a hand in all of the aspects in order to get the design result, which is where we ended up, yeah. you know, yeah. finally. And have you, yourself, have you yourself developed that... You know that eye for design in terms of the direction to be able to lead the team, or do you always work with the? What I, I said I said in this room only 12 hours ago, last night sometime, that I'm not a designer and I do not interfere with design. Uh, and the, the people will tell you I don't. Um, I understand the aesthetic. I know what good looks like and all that kind of thing. But I think if you, in the nurturing of good design, it, it is important that. Um, uh, it's strategic design. There's a big idea behind whatever you're trying to deliver. Yeah. And there's such a lot of um, superficial design around us because it's so easy to multiply it and it's so visually everywhere mm-hmm. that very thoughtful, insightful pieces of design are usually built around you know, great strategy behind them. You know? um, particularly when you're looking at a category and you're trying to be different in that category or do something new and fresh. You know? And is there a particular project that stands out for you in those early days of Brian R. Richards and, and if it had an influence on yourself and the company? The, probably the, one of the biggest transformations that New Zealanders would know is, is Icebreaker. Yep. And in the cupboard just next door there, there's a piece of paper that's only about, you know, one page. And it's the coffee uh, piece of paper we had over coffee Jeremy Moon and I years ago. Uh, and I mean, that, that business built to a yep. terrific scale. So that, that would have been a highlight in the sense of the transformation of, of things like that. But mm-hmm. we've had others since then in terms of much of the work that Fisher and Paykel have done brilliantly in the appliance side of their business, um, uh, which has been done by Alt, which mm-hmm. is a marvellous design firm. Uh, that work, the initial strategic work, was done by myself mm-hmm. at that time. And so it's been, it's been quite pleasing to see certain strategic pieces of work actually come alive. Not always by our designers, but by other design firms. So I'm quite agnostic when it comes to who, how it plays out, really. Mm-hmm. Um, then it will have to be from us. But some of the early strategic work that I'm quite proud of... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, brands like Zespri that are million dollars now and Savannah that's quite big in the dairy industry, um, they're very hard pieces of work to pull off mm. because of the nature of the players. Mm. And do you end up working um, with companies for a long extended period of time, over years? or? Yeah, the design industry probably wouldn't know much about the strategic side of our business, mm. but there is major projects here for government agencies that we work on and we've been with them for some years. Mm. Um, and uh, it's not always design, but we do have impact on the des- downstream design effects of things, you know. Yeah. So um, I had a lot to do with the development of uh, the bringing a better by design into mm. New Zealand. Um, and that's been a great joy to see all that being multiplied mm. out and it's played out to all sorts of different places these days. But yeah, and the impact is, of better by design has been huge on um, the perceived perception of the value of design yes, and strategy. Yes, it has. It, it, it's made a difference yeah. to certain you know, key players in, around New Zealand. It's still, I mean, design still, we still have to close the gap in, in, in the boardrooms, I think. And um, design is, is still uh, not as well appreciated as it, as it should be in, in, in New Zealand, I don't think. And how do, how do we change that? I think the gap can only be closed by 
case models and telling stories and and sharing those ideas with CEOs who when, once you get into intellectual property and you talk about the emotional aspect of a product as opposed to the physical side of it it's quite hard for companies to understand the value of that you know and so being able to um, document that very carefully which is what we do a lot of these days that's important to say well this is the value that design delivered here or here or here so I can I, I don't have time to show you all these different models, but I'd be glad to show you if you want. But, uh, you know, there are things where you, a client comes in and their price model's X, and then you think, well, if we did this, it, it could be worth Y. Mm. And we've got plenty of examples of, of wonderful pricing strategies that have, you know, really lifted the company and, and made great margins and so on. Mm. And um, mm. um, behind the scenes, I do get involved a lot in, mm. in not just the design of it, but the business model, yeah. how much they should spend on design and brand and all that kind of things and how they should how they should you know grow the product carefully with their internal staff and teams and so on mm. and your background in accountancy do you think that had it, a it helps had a great to, yeah I, I actually don't want to be involved with things that fail yeah <laughs> because your name is often connected to them and not everything I do is successful but um, it's really quite interesting to sit people down and say you, you're about to spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on design if you can't get into the top 10% in pricing in this category, then you shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But you've got to have that um, gestation period and patience to get there. So do you have the cash flow to get across that gap? Because it could be three to five years. Mm -hmm. So Icebreaker was three to five years before we really made a serious profit. Mm -hmm. Um, And even then it was kept on being invested and invested and invested. So you've got to have the patience to to invest in design and understand where it's taking you Mm -hmm. very clearly. And when you started um, working in this area of strategy, I imagine a lot of design studios were still um, making their money out of like marking up print, weren't they? So they you, were quite, you were quite different and at the forefront of that shift. Yeah. I think that's, that's important to understand because design is something... A lot of people come in here and say they need a logo or whatever, and we say, well, hang on a minute, what's this business all about? And tell us about the price points and tell us about the category and what are you trying to do and who are your competitors and all that kind of stuff. And many design firms don't start that back that far. They have a very light-touch type of strategic you know, piece of work they do. We would have to say we're you know, quite thorough in how we go about these things and we have to charge for that work mm. um, but clients at the end of that process are really clear what they're what, what they're undertaking and do you ever undertake um, kind of love projects or projects for charities and things like that with your expertise um, I had a lot to do with the New Zealand Film Commission for many years so I was on the board for about eight years mm. and I had a lot a lot, a lot of I contributed a great deal to how how New Zealand stories ought to be told. That's when I learned quite a lot about storytelling and, and met some wonderful writers and, and that kind of thing. And the power of stories is also an important component of design. Mm. That when you're telling a story, to visualise that with the great pieces of design um, and to emotively move people um, with all the sensory tools you can use, mm. um, that's something that is, uh, you know, something that we are really only just beginning to understand as a nation, yeah. you know, I think. And so throughout your career, have um, some of these external things outside of design, such as filmmaking, you know, been your inspiration and have you found different mentors from different areas? 
Yeah, there are people... I, I mean, I read a lot, so I don't watch much television. Yeah. I do read a lot. I think, unfortunately, every, there's so much visual stuff out there, uh, and you've got to be very careful you're not ending up plagiarising or whatever. And so when a designer comes and sees us, I'm much more interested in their workbooks mm. as opposed to their finished work as to how they arrived at a particular design. So the doodle books, to me, tell you something about how a designer's been thinking and where they've come from. So the route towards a great piece of work usually begins with words and thoughts mm. um, before you pick up a pen or whatever. If you begin too far down, you'll finish up. Um, there's so much iteration out there. Mm. So if you ask a designer to design you a piece of glassware and they go and pick every glass they can find off the internet and then go and do something, it'll, it'll be an iteration mm. because they will already have been affected by what mm. they've seen. And you're you, you know. Are you reading um, novels or um, non-fiction or a mixture? I read all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, uh, Some of them are enjoyable reading, others are more serious, intense mm. stuff. And unfortunately we just had to cull the library to move into our new office, oh. but um, I couldn't bear to give all these books away, so they're all out of our farm. Yeah. And so now, what does your um, day-to-day look like within the studio, and do you have rituals and work rituals? We do. Um, we, from, a, from a daily work ritual point of view, one of the important things we say is that we don't want our designers to bring their life to work. We want them to come to work and think about somebody else's life, mm. not their own. So if you look into our studio, it looks very different to lots of other studios. Um, it's very quiet. Um, sure, we have music and that sort of thing, but essentially we want we want this to be very much a place of great thought. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do with our designers is encourage them to think. We don't believe in account management. We don't have any account management. Mm-hmm. Our designers have to be good in front of clients. They have to have interpersonal skills as well as great design skills. Um, we don't want them to be filtered. We want them to be in the heat of the moment, see the client, understand the client, understand how design for them is something that's a completely new experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't believe in account management. Mm-hmm. We've, we've tried that over the years and found it not to be satisfactory. Designers don't like it, um, but you've got to find a designers that can cope with a client mm-hmm. circumstance. Mm-hmm. And they can handle pushback and they can handle defeat mm-hmm. sometimes. <laughs> um, and, and they know how to obviously speak with clients. So we put a lot of effort into training our young designers in terms of their interpersonal skills, how they speak, how they present, mm-hmm. how they talk about their work, the intellectual part of their process and how they think. And we do a lot of work like that around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what led to the um, change in your name from Brian uh, Richards to Richards Partners? The concept of having partners internally within the firm, that my name's been on the door for far too long, <laughs> and it's time to share some of the intellectual property with others, mm-hmm. and that's happening right now mm-hmm. with some of our people coming in. I want to put together a league of people that are really um, world-class here in Auckland, mm-hmm. in New Zealand. We're working in Choke, Japan at the moment, Melbourne and Thailand. Mm-hmm. And the work we're doing in those markets uh, is of international standard. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working in Wangarei at the moment. We were putting together the Huntervasa Museum's oh, brand, etc., which is a lovely project. Um, and using international design skills, which we have, we're bringing some wonderful work that will be soon seen. Mm. You know, I guess the, the, the important thing for us is that uh, when you come to my stage in life, um, I have reduced the size of the firm intentionally in order to do more cerebral-type thinking 
um, because it, it's more and more competitive in the space called brand. Everybody says they're a brand strategist. Mm. And so we want to retreat to higher ground and really specialise in the very best of breed people and so on. So our partners are not just legal partners here. They're also the best we can find in, in the market, mm. etc. So we don't code websites anymore, but we know people that do uh, that well. Mm. And so having a wonderful supply network and being able to work with them is really critical for us. Mm. So we spend a lot of time very carefully choosing contracting people and photographers and that sort of thing, because mm-hmm. that's sort of what we want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about some major shifts or changes that you've seen over the last um, 30 years in the field of design? When I started in design, uh, the word corporate identity was a big word, yes. and they were beautifully crafted pieces of work that took months and months, and, and you know, we got reasonable budgets when I consider the budgets we have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that's happened, of course, is because of the digital formats that are now delivering brand. Brand is much more about content ever-changing, and therefore um, the storytelling aspects of a brand are even more critical, and the ever-changing nature of a brand in terms of association with clients and so on. So design needs to... You still have to have a nice, strong identity to begin a story with, mm. and you have to have playfulness so it's not, you know stuff in a time warp, so to speak. So it has to continually evolve. But unless you have an intellectual kind of piece of thought around it, it'll, it'll come apart quite easily. The principles of design that we had 30 years ago are still alive and well, mm. but they need to be understood by designers so that when they're talking about Fish and Pike or any client they're servicing, they go back to the original ethos of the company and say, yeah, are we departing too far mm. or whatever? And that's an intellectual process mm. before they pick the pen up, so to speak, or whatever. Mm. And what are you looking forward to in 2020? <laughs> um, settling down here, we've only been in this new office yeah. about three months. Um, the purpose of this building was to create a, a quiet thought leadership mm. place in the city. That's small, but we've got it's it's uh, been appointed well. We've got good technology and so on, and good people. We want to uh, focus in certain categories in the new year. So we are running thought leadership evenings here mm. once a month uh, with business leaders and mm. so on. Um, and it's not that we're pitching for work, but we're just making people aware of our interest in a particular topic. Mm. So we've done a particular evening on thought leadership. Uh, with the property sector and just recently with the retirement sector mm. who are building all these retirement villages. And uh, we're talking to them about how better they could communicate and the things they could do and the tools they could do and so on. Trying to introduce the idea of design into these large groups of companies. And quite often we'll bring the competitors together in one room. Mm, and normally they don't meet each other very often. You know? So that's quite exciting. Yeah. That's what we, we're starting. We've had two evenings so far and we're going to be quite a few of them next year, we're planning, yeah. And looking forward into the vast future, where do you see the future of um, design going at the moment and the future of New Zealand? Well, I have been, for me, I'm a very, I've travelled a great deal and and I I love travelling and still do, but but I think New Zealand's uh, point in its history now where it's got to turn a corner. Mm. And that corner is all about moving from commodity to niche products whether it's in food or fibre or wine or whatever else, right? Mm. We don't have the scale of the economy to sell lots of volume, and we don't do that that well. Um, if you look at our dairy industry, it's 
done more and more for less and less. Um, if you look at many of our industries, forestry and many of these other industries, um, so my view is that New Zealand needs to turn this corner. It needs to understand how design can help it turn that corner and good business and the way businesses run, of course, and leadership, etc. But I'd love to see New Zealand um, understand one single principle, and that's learning how to sell less for more. Mm. We don't know how to do that. There are niche companies, of course, that are doing it pretty well, but not in the mainstream of our economy. So my crusade over the next 20, 30 years would be to see New Zealand transform our industries to sell less for more. And do you have um, a personal creative practice at all or um, other hobbies? I'm a farmer. Yes, I saw a deer farm. Scale, a deer yeah. farmer. And, and my wife and I have a lovely property at South Head and that's mm. our great passion. Mm. And we plant trees and we restore wetlands and mm. we do all that kind of stuff. So that's really our, our, our special interest. Yeah. Um, if I was talking to designers in, in, you know, in, in, right on the eve of 2020, it's interesting that 2020, back through the years, was always an expression used at conferences. Yeah. You know, it's now, yeah, what's going to happen in 2020? Yeah. Well, next year we're here, you know, yeah. sort of thing. Probably it'll move to 2050 or something yeah. in, in the next round. But I'm, I've always thought that that 2020 thing is something that... You, you talk about 2020 vision, don't you? And mm. You talk about, you know, accuracy and that kind of thing. I would love to see New Zealand you sort of put a line in the sand in 2020 and, and um, do some of these things I talk about, mm. uh, transform our, our agricultural sector in particular, deal with our health strategies, which are still wallowing all over the place. Um, there's a few things socially that we can do a lot better. Mm. I'd love to be associated with some of those things mm. and uh, that's sort of some of the things I'm pursuing personally. Mm. Um, I think from a designer perspective, I think that the design industry, um, I'd have to say, is a relatively selfish industry in its own right. It doesn't talk well to other industries. It talks well to itself. It has great parties and has lots of awards, etc. It talks well to itself. But it doesn't talk to other industries in the same way that the accounting industry would or the law industry would or whatever. And I think that, that it's time that they turned a corner themselves and thought about how they interrelated with business much more actively. Mm. Um, if you look at the academic institutions in America, their connection between the university and the business sector, say between Stanford and Palo Alto, which is the meeting next door, or between you know, Cambridge University and all the businesses around Cambridge in scientific fields and various like that. The relationship between design and industry, whether it's design schools or design polytechnics or whatever, um, we don't do enough to connect these businesses um, to our design fraternity. We simply don't do enough. And I think one of the things I've been talking quite a lot to, to young people in the design sector, people come for interviews and so on, and in terms of recruitment, is that there's two things. You can have, you can have a, there's a big difference between design ego and designer ego, mm. right? Design ego is something that I really love to encourage. You've got to have an ego to produce a great new piece of glassware. You know, you've got to really want to do better than anybody else on the planet. And it's you're competing with in your mind. And so that's a good thing to have a design ego. Mm. To have a designer ego is when you think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and you have all the affectations of being this cool designer and you read all the right you read about all the other designers and you, you, you and all the social 
stuff that goes around it. But you're kidding yourself in terms of your ability to think really, uh, you know, in an exploratory way about a big idea. So there's a big difference between, as I say, having a design ego, which is something great designers need to have that, because it's all about being a perfection, perfectionist and being a craftsman. Mm. But having a designer ego with, with, without the case models to support it is something you see quite a bit of, mm. and I think that's a shame. Mm. The other thing, it's no different to being a strategic, having, having, a, having a, a strategy ego and being obsessed with making sure you have the best bit of thinking for a client, which is my view of the world, mm. being, versus being a strategist with an ego. Mm. Uh, again, you see the same thing. People who are supposedly experts, but they're great commentators, mm. but can they actually produce something that's uniquely different? Mm. In our case, if you've seen it before, then it's not a brand. Mm. It's clearly not a brand. And when you look around at all the graphic anarchy all over our cities and places, etc., mm. um, there's too much design. Of, of an inferior nature, which doesn't have the cut through that it should have. Mm. And many companies have in-house design studios and, you know, and, and to some extent we've caused that mm. as an industry uh, by not talking enough to industry about the value of employees and the value of design and meeting industry on, on a level playing field. Just the same as the accountants meet any kind of industry and talk about their work much more than the design people do. Yeah. So there's this inbred nature of design that has always, I've always felt, I've always felt that designers should be accredited the same way as architects are, uh, because somebody comes in here and says they're an inter intermediate designer and they need a job and be paid at that level. And you say, well, you've come, you know, you've been in a junior role, but now you're an intermediate role. How do you know you're an intermediate? Do you know what the demands are of an intermediate designer or a senior designer? So we have these titles in the industry. We don't. It's quite sometimes difficult when you're interviewing people to say well, where are they at in terms of their career transition. And if you overstretch a young designer, and you know when they're not ready for more responsibility, or working directly with clients, or whatever, then you can wreck a career quite easily, or certainly unnerve people. So people. I do, I've always believed in apprenticeships and internships and the development of skill sets where people go past milestones. Mm. And I just don't think there's enough of that in, in the design industry. Certainly as an accounting industry or legal industry, legal clerks and you know, various people are doing things. That's sort of what I would hope would happen someday in the design industry. Well, kia ora, Brian. Um, thanks for your time today. That seems like a poignant... Um point to end on, unless you have um, a final pearl of wisdom that you'd like to impart to or share with other designers and creatives out there. Yeah, I mean, my view of design is that when you look at a business or you look at a venture or anything that you're looking at, if you're a great business person and you're wanting to reinvent a product or a service, there are three things these days you have to do. Your product or your service must have three things. Your business must have three things. And it's quite simple. They must have ethics, which is self-explanatory these days in terms of sustainability and all those things. Mm -hmm. They must have aesthetics, which is obviously the design, the colour, the look and feel of the product, the tone of voice, all that kind of thing. And lastly, they must have functionality. So ethics, aesthetics and functionality are the key ingredients in a successful business. And designers play a part in one of those. Mm -hmm. But they need to understand the other two. 
um, and have an appreciation whether they're designing a website which has to be functional, they're designing, they're looking at a product which has inherent sustainable values and a story to be told. So they need to gravitate around the edges of those things, but they, they, they their job is to produce something aesthetically wonderful. And to me, no design will be successful without the other two. So it's ethics, aesthetics and functionality that the critical bits of business of tomorrow, I think, and design has a huge role to play in that.